Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Uh, while you're turning there, let me uh, take some time here at the beginning to introduce what we will be doing with Advent. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent, um, and this year I have chosen uh, to use some of our most cherished hymns to guide us thematically through uh, this month. Something we take for granted when it comes to Christianity is that we are a singing religion. You need to know that that is, uh, that is utterly unique to uh, Christianity. Uh, we are a people who sing. We don't just have religious beliefs. We sing our religious beliefs. When we gather to worship our God, we don't just pray to Him. We sing to Him. We express our faith in song. In fact, throughout the Bible, we are commanded, one of the most prominent commands in Scripture is to sing, to sing to God. And the biggest book in the Bible is a song book, a hymn book of the people of Israel. Why is this? Why is music, why is singing so prominent in the Christian faith? Well, it's rooted in... um, um, and, this, and this robust doctrine of the image of God where, where God has created us as these unique creatures um, that, that do things like art and music and things that go beyond mere instinct. These, these, these things that we, that we do as image bearers that have unique formative power. Music more than anything, um, I'll put art up there with it, but, but definitely music more than anything um, helps us to not just retain truth, uh, and that's certainly true. You, you, I guarantee you uh, that you could still sing word-for-word word songs from your childhood because that's the power of music to retain truth, and teachers use that uh, power as a teaching tool and getting kids to remember things. But more than just retention, music has a way to help you feel the truth. Music takes truth and moves it from the head to the heart. Keller likes to say the two things that that does that more than anything is prayer and song. More than anything else, when do you feel truth? When does the truth move from cognitive to your heart? It's in prayer and in song, which, of course, a a major part of the scriptures is a songbook of prayers in the book of Psalms. And, and, and so it's this power of music to help us feel truth that um, is very important aspect of the Christian faith. This is why a certain song will not just bring a memory to mind, but actually bring us back, is the language we use. It brings me back. You'll hear a song, and it will bring you back to that moment. It will bring you back to that memory, emotions and all, evoking the actual feeling of the memory. Music is such a powerful thing. That we image bearers do. And so, what I want to do for Advent in 2018 is look in detail at some of the most beloved Christmas songs that for centuries have been stirring the souls of God's people. For centuries have been doing something to us, taking the truths of Christmas and, 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 and pressing them down into our hearts. So that's where we're going this Advent season. First up, is um, O Come, O Come, which you just heard from the choir, and what we'll close in singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm going to use Luke 2, 1 through 5 to ground us. It's a passage I'll be preaching from, but we'll continue to, um, we'll continue to look at um, 
at, at the hymn as we go along. Okay, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The word of the Lord. And so now, Lord, we pray that you would um, open our hearts to the teaching and proclamation of your word. We believe with all our hearts that nothing is accomplished without your spirit. That that transformation only happens in and through the word in the hands of the spirit. The word of God is the weapon of the spirit. And so, spirit... Wield your sword and, and change us because we came to church this morning. We trust that you are doing that in unique ways in every life in this room, no matter where we are with you. Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength I need to be faithful to uh, your truth, to honor you, to love your people. And, um, give me the humility I need to uh, do this, not in my own strength, but in the strength that you provide. Um, Give me clarity. Give me all that I need to preach well. Because your people are hungry, Lord. And they need to hear from you. And so use this uh, few minutes we have to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, your word for the day today is wait. I'll accept wait or waiting. A lot of those in the sermon. Uh, count how many times I say that. Parents, ask your kids why, you, why um, they think I chose the word wait. My scorekeeper this morning is Miss Caroline White. Caroline, how are you? Please stand. No, don't just give me the thumbs up. Stand up. Everybody's got to know. This is Caroline. Carol- ah, da, 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 da. Caroline, is, uh, Caroline is on staff with Reform University Fellowship. She's doing amazing work at the University of Kentucky. She teaches at our women's Bible study, ladies. Um, I cannot commend to you our women's Wednesday women's Bible study um, highly enough. She's an amazingly gifted teacher, um, very involved. Uh, she'll be our scorekeeper. So kids, that's who you're seeing afterwards, and she has the official score. Okay, you can sit. <laughs> All right. Um, o come, O come, Emmanuel. The, the hymn was originally a Latin text set, one of our oldest Christmas Advent hymns set to a 15th century Uh, tune. It is noticeably somber and contemplative, which is intentional. Um, I am very thrilled. uh, You you heard a a different rendition that the choir sang uh, during the anthem, and that was a beautiful arrangement of it because it maintained the solemn, somber, contemplative, almost agony of this hymn. Too often when we retune our hymns these days, um, we, uh, we take the lyrics and we give, it, uh, we give it music that doesn't fit what the hymn writer was trying to convey, and it kind of ruins the whole thing. But that was a great example 
of retuning um, a hymn, of an arrangement of a hymn that maintains the integrity of this hymn because it is a somber hymn. Um, One of the few Christmas hymns that we have that feels that way, if that makes sense. The hymn is one of longing. One might even say uh, frustrated longing. It has the feeling of God's people down in the depths of despair, literally begging God to come, crying out to God to come and rescue. And this is why, to me, it is the most fitting song of Advent, because this is the spirit of Advent. Contrary to the culture around us, we are actually in the season of Advent, not Christmas season. The word Advent means coming. And it is designed to be a season of expectation and desperate longing. The Old Testament is a story of waiting, oftentimes very frustrated waiting, waiting for Emmanuel, longing for God to come and fulfill all of these promises that he has made. And through the season of Advent, what we do as Christians is we, we relive the wait. We relive This season of longing that Israel experienced until Advent gives way to the joyful arrival of Christmas. And quite honestly, this is something we are very desperate to recover in our time. A season of lament. A season of longing. Maybe even a season where we are honest with the frustrations of the journey. Because that's not what we do anymore. Nothing is more fitting parable to the immediate gratification, I want what I want, when I want it, overconsumption, overindulgence, overstimulated culture that we now inhabit. Nothing is a more fitting parable of that than what we have done to Christmas. Christmas comes earlier and earlier and earlier every year. Our family went to Disney the first day of November. We walk into Magic Kingdom, and sure enough, Christmas had invaded the magic. On November 3rd, you want to ruin the magic, decorate the magic with Christmas at the beginning of November in Orlando when it's hot. Many of our stores don't even wait till uh, November anymore to start selling and decorating for Christmas. Then, of course, you've got the, and I hope somebody's into these stores, I don't know, I'm sorry. Um, You've got these depressing year-round Christmas stores that are a thing now, you know. I don't know who shops at those. I don't know who's going there in July, but we've got year-round Christmas stores. And nowhere does this whole thing play out more than in our music. Again, like I said, nothing evokes emotions more than music. And so Christmas music evokes the feeling of Christmas. The moment you let those songs out of the box... You are letting Christmas out of the box. And so the big debate is when do you let yourself listen to Christmas? In our home, there shall be no Christmas song heard or uttered until after Thanksgiving. Uh, Very firm rule. I said that in the first service, by the way. I mean, you know our church. It's pretty tough to get an amen out of you people. I said, there are no songs until after Thanksgiving. Somebody over here went, amen. So that's how passionate we are about our music and our songs and our Christmas songs. I know there's some of you uh, heretics like to listen to it through November. Don't bring that into my home. Technically, honestly, even the day after Thanksgiving is too soon. December is not a Christmas season. It's okay to do it the way we do it. I do it that way. But in reality, we are in Advent. 
It's a season of longing and anticipation that gives way to the arrival of joy on Christmas morning. Now, the only people, the only people who still get it are our children. We can learn a lot from them. We love December. I love December. I look at all the Christmas parties I've got going on. I've got the music, the decorations, and all this stuff. But you know who doesn't like December? Your children. It's a really frustrating month. Waiting in this frustrating anticipation, desperate for the arrival of Christmas morning. When is it going to get here? Parents know this every day. How many days till Christmas? How many days till Christmas? And the countdowns and all of this... But what's going on in their soul is a desperate longing that they just cannot ignore or contain. And that is Advent. And that is the Bible. A story of waiting. This is the people of God. A community waiting. A story crying out the words of our hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're going to look at two things this morning along that theme. The beginning of waiting and the beginning of the end of waiting. So when waiting starts and then the beginning of the end. And I'll explain why I say it that way when we get there. The beginning of waiting. Look at verse 1 here with me. And I want to just point something out that is just so easy to miss. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The obvious obvious point of all these details from Luke is that we are actually talking about an actual historical moment in time. In those days, he says. In those days. What days? Oh, well, when Caesar issued that decree that a census should be taken. Which decree? The first one. You know, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke is intentionally anchoring us and the story in a historical, real moment. So what's the big deal in all this? Why am I saying this? The big deal is that the reason Luke and the other gospel writers are so, the historical context is so important to them and grounding it in a moment in these days is so important to them is because the entire history of the Bible has been looking for these days. The big deal is that this moment is the moment that literally all of history has been pining after to appreciate it. Just how big this is. Let's step back just for a moment. All the way back to the moment the wait began. Directly on the heels of the fall. That moment when when sin entered the world bringing ruin and destruction and, and pain and death and judgment Right on the heels of that, God makes a promise that is the foundational promise of the entire Bible. If you are not familiar with Scripture, Genesis 3.15, many of you know this in some ways. It's not a stretch to say that the entire story unfolds in response to Genesis 3.15, where God makes a very simple promise that an offspring, a seed, an offspring of the woman would come and crush evil, essentially would clean up the mess that Adam and Eve had just created. And with that promise, the moment Genesis 3.15 is spoken into reality, the wait begins. The long, painful, arduous, at times seemingly hopeless wait 
for the offspring to come. Along the way, we learn a lot about this coming offspring. And every new revelation only heightens the anticipation. One of my favorite things about our hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is that it's about the coming of one figure, this, the Emmanuel, God with us, this promised offspring. But each stanza begins with a longing for a different theme to find its realization in that central figure. We will sing, O come thou Lord of might. I think that's a window over there. O come thou rod of Jesse. That's one of the windows. O come thou dayspring from on high. O come thou key of David. All of these different things. I could preach a sermon on the richness of each of those verses. And so this is the story. The offspring is promised, and then we begin to wait. But during the wait, we learn so much about this offspring. And each revelation only heightens the longing for the wait to be over. The more we learn about him, the more we see how much promise and glory and beauty and good news is found in him, the more we're saying, come, we want him. Centuries upon centuries, generations upon generations, waiting for one birth, waiting for Christmas. It is truly, the Bible is truly an adventure. Same root there. It's an adventure. Advent is an adventure, a journey of waiting, sometimes brutally so. You know, you know what word is really prevalent in Scripture? Oh. The hymn does not say, come, come, Emmanuel. It says, oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel, and rightfully so. That is a very biblical way to say it. Oh is a term to express frustration, indeed, exasperation. A term that says, I've got nothing left to say. And there are a lot of O's in Scripture. Because it's an exasperating story. How long, O Lord? It's our Old Testament psalm. How long, O Lord? And so this maddening, laborious wait continues on undaunted, filled with O's of how long, O Lord, the seemingly endless yearning until those days when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, Luke says something happened. Let's look at that together. The beginning of the end of waiting. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. This is all really important details, which is called Bethlehem, the city where the offspring was promised to be born, because he was the house and lineage of David, the lineage that the offspring was promised to come from. It's building, it's building, it's building. Oh my goodness, things are starting to come together. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Mary is betrothed, engaged in that culture, engaged, but also with child. That's not an anomaly in our culture, but it was in theirs. And she's not hiding something scandalous that she has done. 
She has never been with a man, and yet she is with child. Perhaps the most famous thing we have learned while waiting for the offspring is that he would be born of a virgin. So here we have a pregnant virgin from the line of David arriving into the city of Bethlehem. Oh my goodness, the moment is here. In those days is the day. It would seem as though the wait is finally over. This offspring of the virgin's womb is the offspring of Genesis 3.15. And indeed, when we get to know this child, that's what we see. The theme of Jesus of Nazareth, his life, is not waiting, it's arrival. It's not longing, it's fulfillment. It's not expecting, it's here. The theme of his life is arrival of promise. The blind who for so long have longed for sight find its arrival in Jesus. The deaf who for so long have, have, have been longing for hearing find its arrival in Jesus. The leprous who have longed for healing find its arrival in Jesus. The shameful who long for acceptance. The outcasts who long for love. The despairing who are longing for hope. The sinners the guilty who long for forgiveness, in Jesus, everyone finds the arrival of what they are longing for. There is no waiting with Jesus. It's just there. And then, the culmination of this child's life, he would do what all of history has been waiting for. What was promised in Genesis 3.15 what creation is groaning for, what we are literally dying for through his cross and resurrection, the offspring would crush the head of evil as was promised in 3.15. And yet, the obvious, and I want to admit, appropriate question remains. If the offspring has come, if the wait is over, then why do I still feel like I'm waiting? It doesn't feel like it's over. It doesn't feel like this journey of struggling and longing and suffering. It doesn't feel like it's over. Evil is still present. Injustice is still everywhere. My sin and shame continue on. We still have pain. And yes, we're still going to die. It doesn't feel like anything's changed. It doesn't feel like the wait is over. Well, this is why I call the arrival of Jesus the beginning of the end. Jesus comes and accomplishes the work of the promised offspring. Then he leaves. And he inaugurates a second season of waiting where we find ourselves. Until he returns in his second advent and finishes the work of the offspring. Israel waited his arrival... We, re- we now wait his return. We, like our ancestor Israel before us, wait in anticipation for the advent of Jesus. Only our wait is now different. We do not wait for arrival, but for completion. We have been forgiven our sins, and yet we must wait, painfully wait, for complete freedom from our sin, which we long for. 
We have been set free from the dominion of darkness and evil. And yet we wait. Painfully we wait for the final destruction of evil and freedom from the darkness. We have been adopted as sons and daughters, as we heard in our assurance of pardon. We have been adopted as sons and daughters, and yet we wait to come home, to be brought home from this orphanage of tears. We have been indwelt by the presence of God through His Spirit, and yet we wait for the immediate presence of God. In other words, all of God's promises were secured with the advent of Jesus And will be realized with the second advent of Jesus. And so we too are left waiting, joining history's chorus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And so in keeping with the theme of advent and history. I will leave this sermon open-ended. Frustratingly incomplete. I wish I could end it today, but I can't. I will leave us full of longing, perhaps even frustration. We don't know when the wait will be over, and God wants it that way. And so we wait. But it matters how we wait. We wait with confidence that Advent shall give way to Christmas. We of all people on the other side of his first advent wait in the surety of his second advent. All Israel had to cling to was promise. They had their Genesis Genesis 3.15. They had their prophets. They had their promises and they clung to them. We have seen that promise be fulfilled. We have seen that promise come to pass. And so we wait. What we wait for is the completion of what we already know has begun. We, of all people, should wait in confidence, which is my application question. As we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, my question is this, do you believe he will answer that song? Do you believe he will answer the cry, how long, O Lord? Do you believe he is coming again to finish what he started? And I want no Sunday school answers here this morning. Do you actually believe that Jesus is coming? Do you actually believe that all of this is going to end well? Do you actually believe that wrongs will be right? That you will be free from sin? That he will wipe every tear from every eye? That the lion and the lamb will lay together. That all things will be new. Do you actually believe that Jesus is coming? I'll tell you how that is answered. By evaluating the way you wait. It seems to me there are two ways we cope with the waiting. (laughs) There are two ways we are tempted to respond to the frustration of the wait. And both show us that we functionally live as if the wait will never be over. We may say we believe there's an end to this. We may say we believe Jesus is coming. But when you look at the way we do the waiting, we functionally live as if there's no end to this thing. The two extremes of resignation and gratification... 
are what we turn. Resignation, this cynical resignation, this fatalistic thinking, this never going to happen, this wallow in despair, this what's the point, woe is me, miserable existence, lament, 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 it never gets better, there is no hope. This is a denial of Jesus and the certainty of his advent. Don't tell me you believe that the wait will come to an end while living resigned to this cynical defeatism. The other extreme is not cynical resignation, but immediate gratification. What do I mean by that? It's not that you give up. You just get going trying to make the best of this because deep down you believe this is all there is. You don't spend your life waiting. Live for the now. Live for yourself. Make as much money. Have as many experiences. Consume, consume. Get, get busy sucking every last ounce of enjoyment out of this life because there's nothing to look forward to. My predecessor here at TCPC, the pastor for me, John Sartell, he, he, believe, he has a bucket list and, and he, he, he does those things and a lot of you do too, so just principally it's fine. But he, he, like, he always liked to say, you know, bucket list is not Christian. It's, 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 it's this lie that denies the resurrection, that denies the return of Jesus. It's as, as if I've got a few years here and I gotta, I gotta get it done. As if this wait isn't coming to an end. It will not yield Christmas. We have nothing to look forward to. So let's just suck as much pleasure out of this existence before it's over. This too is a denial of Jesus and his promised advent by saying this is all there is. So get, get busy making the best of it. Do you believe Jesus is coming? This is answered by the manner in which you wait. Again, turn to our children and let them disciple us here. The reason they wait with such frustrated longing is because there is no doubt in their mind that Christmas is coming. The way we do it is like Lewis and his brilliant uh, description of the way we're tempted to view the fall as always winter and never Christmas. This is how we tend to do life, not believing that Christmas is actually coming. The reason why they're so restless The reason why they ask their parents every single day, how many days, how many days, how many days. The reason why they can't stop thinking about it and talking about it is because they are sure without a shadow of doubt Christmas is coming. It's going to happen. They know it. And because they know it's coming, it controls the way they wait. Yes, with some frustration, but with certainty. Longing and certainty in that perfect balance. And this is the same ideal that we see perfectly embodied in our hymn. Unlike immediate gratification, this is a solemn hymn of lament, crying out to Jesus for more to come, saying it has to get better than this, confessing what we long for, that we long for more. But unlike cynical resignation, it is a hymn of hope and surety. I think the most brilliant thing about this hymn is it's longing, O come, O come, and it hits a theme, and then every one of those longings give ways to a refrain where the music noticeably changes. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Do you believe Emmanuel shall come to you? Because that's his promise.
the entire journey, the entire story that began at 3.15, Genesis 3.15 and the wait and the wait, it ends, last verse of the entire story, surely I will advent soon. I am coming soon. And then the church responds, amen. Meaning truly, we believe you. We're certain of this. And then the longing, advent, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We're sure of it and we're longing for it. Let me pray that that would be our disposition this Advent season. Lord, as we come to your table, every, every, every time we do this, we proclaim, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ shall come again. And we believe that. Use this meal, Lord, to stir our expectations, to stir our longings, to stir our confidence that would keep us from cynical resignation giving up, or immediate gratification, acting as this this is as good as it gets and we have nothing to look forward to, so make the best of it. Or those are lies. Stir our affections for your advent. We pray, Jesus, in your name, who is to come. Amen.